Thank you so much, brothers, for cooking, for singing, for bringing us into the presence. There's some real men right over there. Thank you, brothers. Thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. We give the Lord some praise. Yeah. Mm. 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 So good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, it's my privilege to be here today with you. I'm looking forward to taking your pastor uh, away for about 12 days, starting on Friday, Lord willing, and uh, Brother Myron as well. There are uh, many of us going, about 14. Uh, my wife, Marianne, will be going, and uh, also Sister Naj will be joining us. So please pray for us between April 1st and 12th as we uh, walk where the Savior walked and where he's still walking. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's going to be a, a joyful time together to learn more, to uh, study the Word, to just uh, deepen our friendship. And uh, I'm so grateful for your pastor, um, and I'm sure you are too. But he is a, a brother um, who also uh, loves Jesus. It just oozes out of him, and uh, also the Holy Spirit. And this is uh, why we became friends, and uh, we, uh, he's a lot better looking than me, but we got one blood, one blood holding us together, so uh, praise God, you know. Uh, Father, as we come now to open your word, would you uh, fill me with what you once said and uh, Lord I agree that I'd be hidden behind the cross and, and Lord thank you that these people don't know everything about me that you know uh, but I thank you for your forgiveness I thank you Father for the opportunity I have to be with these dear brothers and sisters this morning to open your word and uh, Father come now by, in, your, in your presence in your power and make it alive to us Open our hearts, God. Fill us with hope and joy and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to be in Colossians today, chapter 1. Now, we know on Friday the Lord was crucified, fulfilling the feast of Passover. On Saturday, he was in the tomb, <clears throat> fulfilling the feast of unleavened bread. And he said that uh, that kernel needed to die so that more could be born later. And then on uh, Sunday, he rose, fulfilling the feast of first fruits. And we read in the end of Matthew's gospel that a whole bunch of other people came out of the grave with him yes, and walked around Jerusalem. And then we read uh, in the uh, tail end of uh, some of the gospel stories that he appeared uh, to the disciples multiple times. We read that uh, he told them to go into Galilee. So they walked up from Jerusalem all the way up to Galilee, 132 miles. And up there they got the Great Commission. And then they walked 132 miles back. You're thinking, why are they walking 264 miles during the 40 days that Jesus was risen from the grave and walking around the earth. That's what uh, we read in the book of Acts, yes, 
that's what we call remedial training because he taught them many things about the kingdom of God for 40 days wandering around reminding them remember when we were here I told you this remember over here I raised this girl from the dead this is how you do that remember over here I healed the lepers that's how you do that remember over here I did that and he walked all over the Holy Land with them came back to Jerusalem and on the 40th day he lifted off the top of the Mount of Olives and went back to heaven the Ascension that was on a Thursday and then 10 days later uh, in the fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost he poured out the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came and uh, we see that there are tongues of fire and and those tongues are deposited over top of the people letting us know that God was changing address from the temple where the presence was into the new temple the people of God and the Holy Spirit fell and then we read about the disciples spreading the news spreading the news well it turns out that the Apostle Paul who was the last one to be born he was a persecutor he was after the church killing the church yes. and on the road to Damascus he has an encounter with Jesus and he falls off his horse gets scales in his eyes and uh, Ananias heals him and his scales fall off he gets baptized he gets filled with the Holy Ghost and he goes about preaching and we read that he went 14 years into Arabia to get uh, ministered to by the Lord to learn about the Lord and then he came back and he starts writing his letters in the late 40s early 50 early 50s so this is now almost 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus but in this letter to the Colossians there's a there's a, a, a little I'll call it a hymn it's a hymn and I believe this hymn was formulated at a very early stage in the church call it the best-selling song call it the favorite worship song I'm not quite sure uh, how to describe it except in the letter to the Colossians he gives this hymn and he builds that right into his letter and this is it's a special hymn because it's got a lot of special words it's got a lot of special um, meaning in it and in it it gives us the clue to what the resurrection really meant to Paul and what it meant is this Jesus is supreme yes, sir. Jesus is supreme yes, sir. Jesus is supreme Yes, he's impossible to overestimate whenever you think you have a handle on Jesus you've underestimated him yes, he's even better than you think yes, and everything he's done is even better than you think yes, sir. it's so good by the time I get done today I, I hope you I hope you begin to see how good it is that he got up on that third day it changes everything it changes everything and so let's look at the Word of God let's look at Colossians chapter 1 15 to 20 this is the hymn to the supremacy of Christ 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, visible, invisible, whether they're thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. In him, in him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. And he is the head of the body. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. The firstborn from among the dead. Why? So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen? Amen. Amen. Oh, Lord, bring glory to yourself through your word. So I want to unpack seven things that make Jesus supreme. And it's unbelievable what God has put in this word for us. First of all, we read that Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. That word there yields the word in English, icon. He's the icon of God. He is the icon of God. And Paul is essentially saying, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what the Father looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what perfection looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what goodness looks like, look at Jesus. He's the very representation of God. This is a letter written to a church in a city that is a little bit like Las Vegas. Colisee, they got hot springs over there, still have hot springs over there. They've got every kind of religion going on in this city when Paul arrives. They've got animism, astrology, they've got sex cults, they've got the Greco-Roman gods, they've got Eastern religions, they've got guild festivals like the Freemasons, they got uh, every bit of uh, groups abstaining from food, abstaining from sex, for ritual purity. They have uh, a mutation there of Judaism that's just totally off. And of course, they have a bunch of false teachers running around trying to introduce all that stuff into the church. Yes. Yes. And Paul will spend a lot of this letter dealing with that and dealing with the, the absolute error of that and mixing anything with Jesus. You cannot mix anything with Jesus. There are people around here that want to wrap an elephant around the cross. There are people that want to wrap a donkey around the cross. There are people that even want to wrap an American flag around the cross. You can't do it. You can't do it. It doesn't mix. It's unmixable. It's perfect. It's only Jesus. And, and Paul says that Jesus is the very revelation of God, which is why Jesus would tell his disciples, 
the night before, you know, uh, well, Philip would say, well, just show us the way to the Father. Just show us the Father. Philip, have I been with you all this time? You still don't get it? I am the icon of God. If you know me, you know the Father. If you want to know the Father, the only way is through me. Yes. So Jesus is the image of God. But Jesus is also the firstborn over all creation. Now this word firstborn is an amazing word. It's the word that we would get the English word prototype. Prototype. Jesus is the prototype over the creation. Now what that means is this. Jesus knew from eternity past that he would become a human being. This wasn't something that just occurred to him. This was a plan from all of eternity. He knew that in order to redeem the human race, he would have to become a human being. So he decided before Adam was made what Adam was going to look like. And he designed Adam to look like him. If he said, if I've got to go down there and become a human being, I'm going to look like I want to look. And so he is the creator and he is the prototype of the creation. So Adam was made after a pattern. He was made uh, to look like Jesus wanted to look. Adam was made in the image of God. He was made with sentient will, communication, reasoning, creative skills, but a body that would one day house the living God. A body that would look like Jesus. In other words, God's plan all along was to live with us. Was to live with us and to be with us. So in the incarnation, in that first Christmas morning, Jesus appeared in a body that he had designed. He was the prototype over the entire creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So Jesus is the firstborn, the prototype over all creation. Number three, Jesus is the creator and sustainer of everything. Everything that was made was made by Jesus. Nothing was made that was not made by Jesus. He is the maker of all things. The physical universe, the spiritual realm, the angels, the cherubim, the seraphim, the archangels, all the orders of angels, all created by him. This is why he's called the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the designer. He's the creator. He's the maker of heaven and earth. And so, unlike the deists who would believe that God made everything and remains outside of his creation, we read in this little hymn that no, that's not true. Actually, he's holding everything together right now. He's holding our bodies together right now. If he wasn't holding our bodies together right now, it would be very messy in here. He's holding everything together. He's holding the earth together. He's holding the moon into the earth, the earth around the sun, the sun and the galaxies. He's holding the entire universe together. All the forces of gravity and energy and light, all of these things are being held together 
by Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the unified force that Einstein was looking for. Jesus is the author of the table of elements. He's the author of gravity, physics, chemistry, everything else. And every little thing holds together in him. He's the key to the entire universe. You cannot overestimate Jesus. You cannot overestimate Jesus. And so that's the first three, but there's more. There's more. He is the head of the church. I think it was the work of the Holy Spirit that we saw that video today about the church. We are the church. This building here is not the church. We're the church. Us, right? The people. So he's the head of the church. He's the only qualified leader. He's the only one who can be the head of the church because he's the only one who lived a sinless life. He's the only one who had the power of God to take the sin of the human race on him on the cross to die and to rise again from the grave full, full, full of God. Yes. He is God. He is the fullness of God. And so he is the only worthy leader of the human race. At the end of the Bible, there's, there's a question ringing through heaven. Who is worthy to open the scrolls? Who is worthy to be the judge that will unleash the final judgments of God on the earth? Only Jesus. Only the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Why? Because only Jesus lived a perfect human life and therefore only Jesus could really be a just judge to inflict all those punishments. And so he is the only one worthy. He's the only one who could be our kinsman redeemer. The, yes, the story of Boaz tells us that the kinsman redeemer has to be a relative, yes, has to be willing, yes, and has to be able. Yes, Jesus is the only one who fulfills all three yes, of those requirements. He's our kinsman redeemer. Amen. So now we should remember that, that Paul's, Paul's vocabulary is talking about the church, the ecclesia, the ones called out. The ones called out of the way of human life that Satan has destroyed into the way of life that God has designed. Amen. This is the final exodus yes, from here to here. And we begin that exodus now when we come to faith in Christ, when we say, yes, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Yes, Jesus, you are able to forgive my sin. Yes, your blood was sufficient payment so that God the Father could stamp it not guilty. Yes. So Jesus is the only one who can help us leave this human existence into the new human existence. And this new human existence is the church. It's a new human race. It's a human race redeemed by a Messiah yes. who, came, who came for us, who, who has in his blood, he's got Jewish blood, right? He's Jewish, okay? What else has he got? He's got Canaanite blood. He's got Moabite blood. He's got Hittite blood, right? 
So Jesus more than likely was not this color and he wasn't that color. He was somewhere in between. He's a Messiah for every people, every tribe and tongue, every nation. And so he invites us through his blood into this new exodus. How good is Jesus? He's awesome. He's awesome. And now is where it gets really interesting because now in point number five, it says Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. He is, what does that word firstborn mean? Prototype. He's the prototype from the grave. He's the prototype from the grave. The destiny that we have in Christ is to rise from our graves. If we're in Jesus, then we're going to, if he rose, then we're going to rise. That's the promise. So he is the prototype. He's not only the prototype of this human race, he's the prototype of the perfect human race over here. So he's the firstborn from among the dead. His body that the disciples saw, that they touched, that they stuck their fingers in his wounds, that body was a spiritual body. It looked different. They didn't recognize him right away, right? But he was perfect, and he was radiant, and he could still eat fish, and you could still touch him. He wasn't a ghost, but he had a new body. He had a spiritual body. He had a resurrection body. So that body is the prototype for our bodies. So we're going to rise from the grave with him, in him, in a new body. Now, this should set your heart on fire. If you woke up this morning and you had a few aches and pains, if you woke up this morning and you looked in the mirror and you saw a missing tooth, if you woke up this morning and saw some missing hair, if you woke up this morning and maybe you've got a missing finger or maybe you've got a missing limb, maybe you're a veteran and you've You've lost a limb along the way. Maybe you woke up this morning and you say, man, I don't sound too good. I'm I'm not going to sing at church today because my voice is terrible. I'm not going to sing. Or maybe you got up this morning and you said, I'm just not thinking too straight this morning. I'm I'm tired. I'm tired. And maybe you you got a cold this morning. Maybe you woke up and uh, your hands got a little arthritis. Whatever it is. You, one day, if you know Jesus, are going to rise from the grave. You are going to have a body that is perfect. Perfect. Your vision is going to be perfect. Your voice is going to be perfect. We're going to be singing like these brothers. Everybody. Perfect pitch. Perfect pitch. And we are going to run. We are going to run like Usain Bolt. Better than that. And we're going to look better than that. And we're going to feel better than that. Because we're going to be perfect. Now Jesus did this for us. He's the prototype. And you know, if if there was a man who's a scholar, N.T. Wright, he looked at everything that was ever written in Greek. And all that 
three centuries before Jesus and a couple centuries after Jesus, and he looked at every single thing that was ever written about life and death, and he found resuscitation, he found reincarnation, he found rebirth, retranslation, but he never found resurrection. He never found a story that has a creator God who becomes a human, who suffers, who dies, who rises from death in an indestructible eternal body. That idea, contrary to what a lot of people would say, is a totally unique idea in all of Greco-Roman literature. Nothing like it. So in his epic work, The Resurrection of the Son of God, N.T. Wright concludes that this is a unique, unique idea in all the world. And if you read Revelation 19 and 20 and 21 and 22, they are a total unwinding of Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 4. And in Revelation 19, Jesus kills all the enemies of God, yes. overcoming the murder of Abel by Cain. In Revelation 20, Jesus dispatches Satan to the lake of fire. Yes. In the third last book, chapter of the Bible, Satan is removed. He came in the third chapter of the Bible and ruined everything, but in the third last chapter of the Bible, he is removed permanently. Amen. In the second chapter of the Bible, you've got this Garden of Eden. In Revelation 21, you have the new Garden City. Yes, and then in Genesis 1, you have the new heavens and the new earth. And in Revelation 22, you've got the new heavens and the new earth. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So Jesus is come to make it all perfect. He's the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he would have the supremacy. He would be first and best in every single thing. Who's the best teacher who ever lived? Jesus. Who's the best physics professor who ever lived? Amen. Who is the best chemist who ever lived? Turned water into wine, didn't he? Yeah. Every single thing, he has the supremacy. He has the supremacy. Now, Jesus, because of all that, Paul writes, he's the fullness of God. He's the fullness of God. Somehow, you cannot pack 10 pounds of potatoes into a five-pound bag. But somehow... God put God inside a human being. Fully God, fully man. I don't know how he did that. That's above my pay grade. But it says right here that God was pleased to have Jesus be the full dwelling of the man of God. Right there. All of God. All of man. Right there. And so he is the Fullness. Fullness means everything you ever wanted and thought of. Fullness means everything. everything. Fullness means perfection. Fullness means it is finished. It's done. It's perfect. And it will be like that for those who follow Jesus. It will be like that forever. Amen. Reconciled to God and uh, that's where Paul gives us number seven. He's the reconciler. Jesus is the reconciler of all things. He's the reconciler of the physical creation. 
He's the reconciler of the angelic creation, and he's the reconciler of the human creation. And so God says that this was done by the shedding of his blood on the cross. And so now we see the full meaning of Calvary on Friday and the full meaning of resurrection on Sunday because he, by his blood, reconciles us to himself. So no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, if you turn to God and say, forgive my sins, paint me with your blood, then you are healed, you are accepted, you are brought into the family of God by faith. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can't give enough money. You can't preach enough sermons. You can't cook enough breakfasts. That you cannot get there from here. The only way is the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. And so if we receive his blood as the payment for our sin, then we are forgiven. It's done. Over. So today, if you've never given yourself to Christ, if you've never asked him for forgiveness for your sin, all you need to do right now in this time and place is to say, Jesus, I turn to you. I accept your blood as the payment for my sin. I accept your substitution. Your substitution. Yesterday, our grandbaby turned three. And her father asked her, Tilly, why do you love it that Jesus went to the cross? And she said simply, because I don't have to. <laughs> That's it. Right there. You can, you can say it that simple, or you can spend hours and hours and hours and years and years and years studying your head off, and it's still the same, because I don't have to. He did it because I don't have to. Now, Paul took this message into Colossae, and he took it into all the cities of Asia, and he then took it to Athens. And when he was in Athens, he said to them, look, if you want to get right with God, you need to turn around. You need to turn around. And he said it this way, in the past, God overlooked ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he gave proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So here the offer is based again on the supremacy of Jesus, the supreme creator the supreme God-man, the supreme cross, the supreme resurrection, the supreme ascension, and his promise to return. He is supreme over life and death and angels and demons and everything that comes against us, bodily harm, emotional harm, spiritual harm, everything. In every marriage where you got difficulty, Jesus is supreme. In every church that's struggling, Jesus is supreme. 
He is supreme on every single thing. He's supreme. He's so worthy. He is so worthy. Now later in the letter, Paul invites people who have never received Christ to turn to him. And I'm going to do that when I get done in a few minutes here. I'm going to invite anyone who's never turned to him to turn to him to come up here and, and receive ministry. But I'm also going to remind us that Paul said, continue in him. Continue in him. So maybe you're here today and you're having trouble continuing. Maybe you've hit a wall. Maybe there's a, a burden in your life that you maybe haven't shared with anybody yet. Well, these are the things that Jesus is supreme over. He's supreme over finances. He's supreme over health. He's supreme over wayward children. He's supreme over every aspect of your job. He's supreme over your boss at work. <laughs> yeah. He's supreme over all these presidential candidates. He's... He's supreme over all the people in Washington. He's supreme over all the people in Russia. He's supreme over all the people everywhere. He's supreme. So bring that trouble to him and continue in him by coming up and saying, I can't continue anymore unless Jesus helps me continue. Then you come on up and you'll receive prayer and ministry. But look, he is the hero. He's the only reason we get up at 6.30 in the morning on a Sunday. He's worth every minute. There are some people in bed right now, and they're missing out. They're missing out. Yep. They're in bed. Turn over, get another 15 minutes, get another half hour. But you all, you all know he's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. He's supreme. He's supreme. He's supreme. He's worth it. Now you continue in Jesus, but don't just continue in Jesus with your head down and your feet down and, you, and moping along. Look at the vision of Jesus. The vision of Jesus is not just here and now. Yes, here and now, you come, he'll forgive you. He'll heal you. He'll encourage you. But his vision is way more than that. It's, it's a new body. It's a new heaven. It's a new earth. It's a new Jerusalem. It's a new Eden, the river of the water of life. It's, 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 a, new, it's a new diet, the tree of life with fresh fruit every month, forever, forever. It's a beautiful city of gold with precious stones shining in the pure light of God. It's a beautiful vision, but it's more than that. It's more than that. It's yes. Satan crushed all believers, freed from the harassment of Satan forever. It's all those that would not receive Christ, all the evil, all the idolaters, all the trouble, they're gone. They're in the lake of fire yes. for good. We are in work that works. Do you know you're going to be working in heaven? Yes. You're, you're not, actually, you're not going to be in heaven. You're going to be on a new earth, which is also a new heaven. You're going to have a body. You're going to serve God, it says. Yes. So there's going to be work to do, but work is going to work. 
There's going to be zero waste in the economy. There's going to be full employment. There's going to be no environmental issues. Cities and communities are going to be filled with love and respect and relationships that grow and blossom. Uh, there's tireless resurrection bodies that are working without pain, enjoying food, rest, service, all in perfect balance. There's no sin or injustice, no classism, racism, materialism, cynicism, or any other ism. It's all gone. There's continuous, con all gone, all gone. There's continuous breakthroughs in the arts and in the sciences as our full creativity that Jesus gave us is released. There's more wisdom in the knowledge of God. Never-ending feeling of being home, loved, understood, never-ending discovery of every challenging intellectual reality and philosophical purpose, all of it being revealed day by day by day by day. The glory of God, His righteousness, all his decisions being celebrated, endless love and creative life as originally intended by God. Every wrong set right, every evil removed, everything that is good and right and praiseworthy and excellent happening all the time. Yes. We, we need to understand the enemy has so trained us to think of God as the cosmic joy killer. God is the rule giver. These rules are for our blessing, yes. not for our joy killing, but here is God. I want, I want to read a little paragraph from Dallas Willard about this God, because we, we need to open our minds about who God really is. Here, here's what he says. God leads a very interesting life. This is Dallas Willard in The Divine Conspiracy. He is the most joyous being in the universe. All the good and beautiful things from which we occasionally drink, tiny droplets of soul-exhilarating joy, God continuously experiences in all their breadth and depth. We are enraptured by a well-done movie sequence or by a few bars from an opera or a few lines from a poem. We treasure our great experiences for a lifetime, and we may have just very few of them. But God is simply one great, eternal, inexhaustible experience of all that is good, all that is true, all that is beautiful, and all that is right, all the time. This is his life. This is his life. See, that's the vision that we get to come into the life of God. Amen. We come into the life of God fully yes. because Jesus is supreme. Because Jesus was the firstborn over all creation. Because Jesus made everything. Because he's the icon of God. Because he's the head of the church. Yes. Because he's beautiful and he's the, the firstborn, the prototype of the resurrection. Because he's the fullness of God. Because in Jesus, all things are forgiven and all things are set right. So when we have our minds set on Jesus and we continue in Jesus, then we have everything. We have everything. We have everything. Forever, and ever, and ever, and ever. That's a long time. That's a long time. So 
we're going to, I just want to, I just want to just have us worship now. Just come into a place yeah. where we worship the Lord together. Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's just enter into that space. I'm just going to pray a little bit and then I just want to invite the ministers to come up and let, let's, let's receive from the Lord, but also let's give him the praise and honor and thanksgiving he is due. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for making him supreme. Thank you for sending him, Lord. Thank you for letting him die. Thank you for bringing him home. Thank you for promising to send him back to get us. And I invite you, brothers and sisters, to come forward now to, to let him know how you feel, to turn to him if you've never done that, to receive ministry in his name. We bless your name, Lord. We bless your name. He's my Savior, 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 what's his name?